Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's the My First Gig Podcast. Whoa. Sharing stories of first gigs and shows. Comedians sharing their memories. The fun and entertaining, exciting and crazy. With Dwayne Dugan as your host. It's the My First Gig Podcast. Here we go. Hello and welcome to another edition of the My First Gig Podcast. My name is Dwayne Dugan. I'm your host. It's great to see you again. Unless, of course, this is your first time dropping by. In which case, shouldn't you introduce yourself? Hi, nice to meet you. My name is Dwayne. And here we sit down with some of your favorite comedians to discuss how they got started their life at the time. And, of course, their first gig. We recorded this chat in Whelan's in Dublin prior to Jamali's show, Vape Lord, back in October 2018. He had just finished his run at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and took the tour on the road. And we'll talk about that. He's back on tour now with his new show, Strip Club Einstein. I think there's a date in Whelan's coming, so hold on out for that. Check that out. And then he's heading all around the UK to Melbourne, to New Zealand, Australia, and finishing off on May 22nd with his show at the Hackney Empire. If I sound a bit strange to you right now in my introduction here, it's I'm, I'm a, little, uh, a little stuffed up. I'm down in Cove. It's a little island off of Cork in Ireland. It's about seven feet away from Cork, but it's still an island where my mother lives and where my cat lives. And I've had the cat since I was 12 years old. And I kind of forgot over time that I'm allergic to cats yet. I've pretty much had cats since before I was 10 years old. And there was a point there where we realized, like I was told I was allergic to cats. And my mother was like, he'll be fine. Let's make him fall in love with things that can kill him. That's a nice lesson for life. You know, but maybe that made me stronger. But it definitely didn't because I'm a weak boy, mentally, physically, and in everyday life, willpower and such. But I do like to see my cat as in May she will turn 20 years old. That's right, 20 years old, which people like to tell me is very old for a cat. But she doesn't seem old, you know. Like I've seen 15-year-old cats who can't open their eyes. And this cat, you know, she's older. She's got her ailments, but like, she's fine. She just ran up the stairs. She sits here and just, like, shouts at me and stuff. It's great. And I actually, I went online to try and find the oldest cats in the world, right? I wanted to find out what the oldest cats in the world were. So I went straight for the Guinness World Records and I found this article. Although it's from 2014. It says, the world's oldest living cat, 24-year-old Poppy, is the new world record holder. And I'm looking at the cat now. It's a nice cat. It looks a bit haggard, but it does look nice. It's standing on a red carpet with a couple of presents, which they're useless, can't open them. And then what can I only be described as the image of a cake formed out of the ends of a couple of tins of food, but like multiple tins and varied enough that they're different colors so that we can see, you know, that it looks a bit textured and a bit colorful with candles in the top of it saying 24, which like that's not nice. If you're 24, you're like 112. 
in human use as like here's five different dinners on top of each other all different flavours with some candles in it like it's just gonna whether it's 112 in human years or 24 in cat years it's just gonna shit itself anyway that's not very nice <laughs> oh what a start to this article Poppy was born in February 1990 the same month Nelson Mandela was released from prison end of paragraph sure that's like a, an occasion everybody remembers but it's not what you want to associate with your birth where is she she's from Bournemouth she's lived through five British Prime Ministers but is now a frail old lady and spends most of her time inside relaxing. Now, it's an old article. It's six years old. I don't want to look up how Poppy's doing now. But this does get me sad because it says here that Poppy won the prize following the death of Pinky, a cat from Kansas who passed away last year at the age of 23. Now, granted, it's the world's oldest living cat, but I guess I didn't realise that when I read it. And I was like, oh, no, not only does the cat die, but they take its award away. I was like, no way. I got a little too sad at that. I looked up the oldest cats ever that ever existed, not just living. And I found this website, oldest.org, right? So I think they should know. Oldest organization. Recently added articles, 10 oldest trees in America, 10 oldest college football games, 10 oldest cities, 10 oldest companies. And here we have the seven oldest cats ever. And number seven, right, so we're going to start off with number seven is Scooter. Born in 1987, died in 2016, 31 years and 13 days. Siamese cat from Mansfield, Texas. And it looks nice. But that's number seven, you know? We've got six more here, like 31 years and 13 days scooter. You just missed out. <laughs> By a whisker. <laughs> oh. oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, so at number six, we've got, that's a fat cat. At number five, we've got a cat that looks like a wall. At number four is Sarah. Sarah looks very angry to be alive. I would be too if I was 33 years old. Number three, oh my God. Number three, we've got Grandpa Rex Allen. Like, Google Grandpa Rex Allen. A mixture of a Sphinx and a Devon Rex owned by Jake Perry in Austin, Texas. Oh no. Oh no. There's got like these little check boxes and it's like all this age reached the breed, the owner, the country, country of origin and then the last one, the little tick box and it says still alive and this one just says no. <laughs> oh, but like I'm looking at this photo. It doesn't look alive when this photo was taken. It's a photograph of a photograph being held by two hands which are probably the oldest hands I've ever seen in my life. Look at that cat. That has seen some things. Oh my god. It says here that your man Jake Perry mentioned in the previous entry. What's he doing to these cats that he's keeping these cats for all a long time? I guess that's nice. It says here that Grandpa's owner is a well known for raising long lived cats and in an interview Perry said that he loves his cats so much that he remembers all of their birthdays. I don't know why I'm painting this guy out to be a bad guy. This is who I want to be when I'm older. Ah oh, here, what? Perry even sent an invitation to President Bill Clinton for Grandpa's 34th birthday, but Clinton could not attend and sent a card with his regrets. 34th birthday, so in 1998. So yeah, whilst Bill Clinton was president, he wrote a letter to a cat to say, I cannot make your party. Sorry about that. The world is mental. Number two, Cream Puff. Oh no, it's the same man. It's the same hands holding the picture. It's a photo as well. 
because it's like in a basket with a butterfly. This isn't real. This man is just going, I have a really old cat. It's like, where is it? I have a painting. Cream Puff. A tabby minx, 38 years and three days. That is insane. What's number one? Number one is Lucy, 39 years from South Wales. It says, while a vet could not confirm Lucy's exact age, the doctor was impressed by how... how the doctor was impressed by how old the cat was and estimated her to be around 172 years. Like 172? You'd be like, here, put me out of my misery, you lunatic. Stop taking my photo for the internet. Born in 1972, died in 2011. Like, that cat was outliving me for a long time. 39 years. I don't know who verified the cats from oldest.org, but the photo here of Lucy. Don't mean to put a damper on proceedings, but this is a picture of a dead cat. That cat is not alive. If it is alive, then like it's been held hooked up to some machine or something. That cat, that cat is not alive. But you know who is alive? Jamali Maddox is alive. Boom! That's how we do transitions here. So I'm going to stop talking about cats. We're going to listen to the chat. As I said, yeah, we recorded this in Whelan's October 2018 before a show. Great show in Whelan's. Oh yeah, it's podcast time, guys. Here we go. It's my first gig. With Jamali Maddox. Well, yeah, I mean, I was still writing the show when I was in Edinburgh because I was doing something beforehand. So I was I was away for like two months. So I've still been working on the show up until recently. Even now, I'm still adding little bits here and there. And yeah, you don't think it's ever finished? I mean, yeah. I mean, you get it to a point where you're happy to do it, and you kind of stop writing jokes for it. I think. Sure. Yeah. I think, but you can always do stuff new with a joke but then you kind of always got a I, I I think there has to come to a point where you go okay this group of ideas I'm done with and even if, if even if I come back to it in five years or some shit do you know what I'm saying um, but at the same time I think you know there, there has to come to a point where you go okay this is the show now and uh, I don't think I've got it with this with this show yet if I'm being honest with you okay interesting. But I think I'll get it uh, yeah yeah I don't think it's the show's not there yet it's good enough, but it's not there, you know, it's not, it's not, sorry about that, it's not there yet, you know, so I'm just wrecking the place. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck wheelers, man. As no. long as it's your equipment. <laughs> yeah, it's only my iPhone, though, I haven't dropped your stuff. Is there a moment that you realise, right, I'm now, you're saying you're not, you're not at that point yet, do you know when you reach that point? I've got, I guess, I guess it's, you just, you just know it in yourself, hello, you're right, you just, uh, you just know it in yourself, and I think there's, there's no... There's no sort of like, okay, it's been six months, so now it's... Sure, done. yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't think there's any um, uh, method to it. I think you just got to know in yourself where you go, okay. I think it's when you go, okay, I'd, I want to move away from these set of ideas. I want to move on to another set of ideas. Um, that's why I think Edinburgh is a good bookmark where you go, okay, this is a year now. This is what I've done in a year. Maybe let me try and work on something else for that year. How would you do it now? So you, you took this show to Edinburgh this year. Yeah. Would you take it there next year or... This show? No, 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 no. No. Would you have a new show ready by next year or would you wait for the um, following maybe? I don't know if I'm, I'm going to go back to Edinburgh next year. I might do a work in progress. There's a couple other things I want to do. Because that's what I mean. If you're, if you're still kind of, you know, if, you're, if your head's still in this and like getting it to like the final yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll wrap up the shows after I've done the Australian tour. But then how the show was in Edinburgh and how it is now is two totally different shows. You know, because fishing in Edinburgh, you're trying to, you know, Edinburgh, this Edinburgh was kind of a weird one for me because it made me realize that I, because I, I try to force a narrative to it. Okay. When I think the narrative is just the feeling how I'm writing. 
and I kind of had realized that and I'm like, I don't need to do it of like, you know, have the wrap up at the end and go, that's how my mum made me feel or whatever the, you know, not saying that's bad. I mean, I wish I could write a narrative. I'm not, pissed, I'm not dissing narrative sh- shows. I think some of, the, some of my favorite shows have been narrative shows. But at the same time, it's like, I can only, you know, I got to do it my way. My way is just trying to write. My through line is the emotion. So that's what I'm sort of working towards now. So, I mean, I'll, 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 I'll wrap up this show after Australia. I think I'll wrap this up. Maybe yeah. try and record it, try and lay it down somewhere. Um, because I'm happy with some of the bit routines on this show. Sure, yeah. So, yeah, I think I never, I think I never three routines I need for this to, uh, to, to, I'm happy with it. And just go back to something you mentioned there. While it's not necessary, obviously, uh, uh. do you feel a pressure? Like I think in general, uh, a yeah. pressure especially for, say, an Edinburgh show that needs, say, like a narrative I to did. back it. I did. I don't know. I don't know. I did, though. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I felt as if that was the dumb thing. So I felt like I had to kind of fit in with that. But, um, and it's like early on, but I don't now. No, now I just like, you know what, man? I can only do what I do good. Yeah, of course. Do you know what I'm saying? And it's yeah. like, you know, yeah, you know, I could try and do some other shit, but that's not what I do. There's no and it, unless unless it comes naturally, what's the point of doing it if it ain't me? Because it won't be your best, then obviously. It won't be my best. I won't be happy with it. It won't be honest. You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm trying to do now is write honest. There's so much going on, especially this year. This year was insane up in Edinburgh. Just there's there yeah, yeah, yeah. too much going on. Almost you almost need like I think the pressure comes from you need to sell your show yeah. in one line almost. Yeah, I mean I was kind of lucky because I sort of come off the back of a TV show. You know, so that kind of relieves pressure in terms of the extra selling. And I don't play a massive room. I had a big, it's the biggest room I've played. Mm. In terms I guess of I was selling yourself yeah, rather yeah. than the show itself. Yeah, well, I don't know, man. I mean, it's a bit of both, brother, you know. I think, you know, I, I mean, I, you, I, I didn't ask the audience why they came. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> sure, yeah, no, of course. Um, but, you know, it's like, you know, there is that pressure of like, well, I need to set it in a line and stuff. And I think you kind of just have to do the best show you can and then do what you can when you're up there. And, you know, and, and, and if you have a good show, people will come. I, I still believe in some type of uh, justice to that, that if you have a bumping show, like if you have a show where fuck, motherfuckers are standing ovation in your ass, but you can't write in a sentence, I think you'll be all right still. Yeah, like word of mouth. Do you know what I'm ultimately, saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think, you know, but I understand what you're saying. I think there is that perceived pressure and I think I've been victim to it too. But I think there's, I think there's, I think there's pressure all around in Edinburgh. It's, you've got showbiz pressure, you've got motherfucking motherfuckers telling you, yo, you know, this is the thing you want and all of that. And then when you really break it down, it's like, you got to really think about what you want out of it. And uh, what I wanted out of it wasn't the, um, the things I was told I wanted out of it. Sure. You can't have 4,000 shows trying to achieve the same thing. No. It doesn't make sense. No, no, no. Before we talk about your first gig, if I can take you right back and if I'd ask you what's your first memory of comedy that at least comes to mind, do you know what that is? Honestly, man, like, if we're just saying comedy, you know, and not talking about stand-up and stuff like that, I remember, well, I think it was stand-up. It, my say my earliest memory, two memories come into my mind. One was my uncle Mark, and he was, I remember just thinking he was the funniest dude alive. Do you know what I'm saying? And it was just fart jokes, but was, I remember just thinking that shit was hilarious. Do you know what I'm saying? And uh, the other memory is at uh, Paramount TV. 
I don't know who the comic was, but it was his comic. And he was talking about, um, I think he was an American comic. He was talking about how when you're on the underground and people are like leaning over to look at the trains coming. And, and I remember my mum's husband was just l- crying with laughter. And I remember that, you know, watching that. And I didn't really even understand. I never, you know, I don't think I've even been on the underground at that point. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? But I just remember him crying with laughter. Yeah, so just that, you know, him laughing yeah. rather than maybe what's... Yeah, yeah. Well, I remember the, the bit was about him looking out. And I remember this other bit. It might have been like a Freddy Star or something. But I remember watching it with my family and he was making, he was taking the piss out of um, French um, alphabet. No, French numbers. So he was like, cat sank C. And he was saying, like, you know, the cat sank and, and all this type of shit. And I remember just like, you know, everyone was laughing in the room and I didn't understand what the joke was. I didn't understand the premise, but I remember that sort of idea of that laughter and what that laughter kind of, you know. I mean, I say that now as a... 27 year old man well I think it was how the laughter was perceived like oh fuck you know it's just just people laughing do you know what I'm saying and that type of thing was making people laugh yeah but I guess it was attractive seeing people laugh or seeing someone make someone laugh yeah yeah I mean I I I think the attractiveness of people laughing is 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 sort of some childhood damage (laughs) but uh I don't know man but you know I mean I like to you know overanalyze it and say yeah and that's when you know I don't know do you remember the first time you saw Stand Up Live there in the room? Live, yes. Uh, there was two times. There was one, and I don't know which one came before. I remember one where my sister and me had went to Barbican Theatre in London, and it was these comics over from America. And I remember I bought a DVD off one of them. And I remember playing the DVD and it was he was telling the jokes that he had told on stage. Mm. And I'd be like, but I already saw it. Like, I just understand that you, you know, you obviously, it's his routine. But, you know, he, he kept these routines going. And uh, the other time I saw live comedy, I went to a gig in London. It's a controversial gig. I think it's gone now. It was by a guy called Inky Jones. And he was, you know, it's, it's all politics. I, I ain't going to get into why it's controversial, but. I remember watching that gig in central London. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was with my friend Kendra and Ramon. Is this how long would this be before you decided <laughs> to do comedy? That's a good question. Not that long, man. Not that long. Not that long. Not that long. So it wasn't too long after seeing it that you thought maybe yeah, I want to try this. Yeah, yeah. Maybe months. Okay. Maybe that's months. Quite, that's quite quick. Yeah. 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 Maybe months. I don't. I don't think it was years. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. What made you want to do it? Or think you could? I don't know, you know, man. Like, I know, I know when I initially wanted to do something. Well, do you know it's weird? And we can get into that when you say first gig because I've got two first gig stories. And a one, lot of people do, funny enough. And one I forgot about. Uh, we, we'll get into that in a second. What was the original question, sir? What made you want to try it? I don't know, man. This, you know, I just, I just kind of... Come in when I was young. I mean, it's a story I've told other times, but I could tell it again. It's, I was about 14. I was at my dad's house. I was smoking weed. And I was watching The 100 Greatest Comedians on Channel 4. And then number four, I think it was number four or five came on. It was Bill Hicks. And I remember thinking, what the fuck is this? Like, it just shit everything. I was just like, yo, this is crazy. Because it was like, you know what I mean? It was just this motherfucker smoking cigarettes, wearing all black, talking about the government. I was like, yo, that's crazy, man. I remember I wanted to do that. I remember I wanted that. I don't know what it was, but I wanted that. Okay. I don't say we be political or be whatever. Maybe at that time, probably I thought I was more smart than I was. But I remember I just wanted that. That sort of whatever that was, I wanted that, you know. Yeah, because a lot of people say when they first see it, when they first say on a TV or yeah. something, they want to go see it in person. Yeah, it felt normal. It felt watching it felt like, oh, that's normal. That's normal. Like it felt right. I can't explain it. It just it felt something, you know. It felt I felt something. I was like, that is, that's it. That's the thing. I don't know what the thing was. Like it's hard to explain even. But I remember seeing comedy and being yeah, like, walking something anyway. uh, yeah i remember thinking that's it that is that's the thing and i remember being like i remember happy i found it i was like that's it that's the thing and i don't know if i was looking for it even but i was like that's it that's the that's the thing that that a man on stage or a female whatever whatever the fuck you know what i'm saying a person on stage that's it do you see what i'm saying and yeah. that was yeah that was um that was a big point for me yeah so how did that how did you go about getting a gig down because like well, I grew up in London, so it was kind of a lot easier. You know? There was like open yeah, mics there was around. a guy, there was a friend I had called Ao. Uh, Shouts to Ao, and he had me, and it was a girl that he knew. And I met Ao on this. I'd done this short film years ago, years like when I was young, and I met him on the set. And I remember saying I want to do comedy. So what he did was he had booked the gig, and. Say, look, we're just going to go watch some comedy. When I got there, he was like, you know you're on. Oh, my God. I put you on. And I went up, and it was all right. But I remember, like, wow, like, yeah. Like, you know, he just put me on, man. That's different to being dropped in the deep end. That's thrown in upside down. But it was good, though, because I would never have done it. Like, I respect him for that. Like, he really, because he knew I wouldn't have done it. Yeah. And so he just said, you're doing it. 
you know what I'm saying? It was, uh, yeah. Yeah, I owe him a lot, actually. Where was that? It was in King's Cross. A place called Lions Den, and the guy who ran it's uh, passed away now. His name was Tim. Yeah, he d- it was last year. Yeah, he died yeah. last year of uh, cancer. And uh, yeah, Tim, Tim, Tim used to run that gig in uh, King's Cross, and then it moved to Bar Umber in Piccadilly. But I remember I scored it was King's Cross. It used to be me. I think Gabriel Boodoo. That's why I met my friend Gabriel. I've known Gabriel. Fuck, man, I've known Gabriel since I was like seventeen. I was like seventeen at the time. I know Gabriel since I was like seventeen. That's like ten years. Fuck me, ten years now. And you know, guys who I've come up with and that you know, Darius Davis was there, and James Loveridge, guys I still see around. And you said earlier that you had kind of two first gigs. I'm guessing well, that's the first yeah, one. Yeah, and it's it? something that someone reminded me of. And now I remember it. I go, fuck, it happened, right? Is basically, I was in primary school. So I must have been, I must have been a baby, bro. Must have been like nine or something. Maybe ten. And uh, what happened was, is there was a, a talent show. And the two um, kids I was doing it with, they were doing sketches. And they had wrote me, it was called a DD show. Right, it was called, it was called, one was called Declan and one was called, was it Declan and Declan? It might have been Declan and Declan, both of them called Declan or some shit. And they had that, they called it, and they do these little sketches. And they had wrote me into the sketch. Can't remember, I think I, I think I muscled my way. <laughs> I thought like, I want to be on that shit. So they wrote me in the sketch. And I pop out at the end and do a little, Ugh. and one of them, or somebody, you know, like, you know, when you, you know, like these little kids and when they're doing like a show and one of them don't want to go on stage, so they start crying. Yeah. They're like, I don't want to go. Where the nerves hit him or something. So the teachers went, uh, Jamali, get out there. And I said, do what you could just get out there. I remember I went out and just, and just did impressions and shit. And I was doing jokes and I was just like, I was going up, I was going up to people like, go and shake my hand. And then I put it back and start dancing. Like, and I was a little fat kid as well. So just imagine this little fat, <laughs> little fat kid. He can't touch this and all this type of shit. And I, I remember I had this shirt and I flicked my collars up and I was pretending I was Henry, uh, Harry Hill. And stuff. And, and bro, do you hear the funny thing? I've never even seen Harry Hill. <laughs> I've just seen a photo. And I'm flipping up my collars like I'm Harry Hill. And, it, and people were laughing and shit. And I must have did like, you know, three, four minutes. Well, I was going to ask you about like, how do you go about writing when you haven't done it before? But you've, you've got two gigs here. Of sorts. Nah. But the second time with that, that King's Cross one, I had wrote bits. Okay. Like I had bits. So you had bits, but you hadn't gone out and gotten a gig? No. No, I had I'd wrote something. So that's why, is it AO, do you say? Yeah, AO, AO. That's why he gave you the push, I guess. I guess so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just, he just knew I needed to get up. Yeah. But I think I had wrote bits. I think I had bits. I must have, riff, I might have riffed a little bit, but I had bits. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So what did you do to write then? Just what I thought was funny and I wrote it down on a piece of paper and I would watch other comedians and see kind of what a joke structure was. You know, I think I think that's me looking at it now as a professional comedian. <laughs> but I don't know. I just wrote and wrote and wrote and just wrote things I thought were funny. But looking back on it, it had no structure probably. You know, I haven't seen either. I can't remember what the fuck I was saying. Do you remember anything at all? Any of those early... What, a bit? Just even opening joke or something? Man, like I didn't really have one-liners. You, no, I can't. I, I think I had one about no. I can't really remember what I said. I'm sure I got an old notepad somewhere, or a piece of paper I could find mm. it. But no, I can't remember, man. So that's ten years ago. So we're talking what? Uh, 2008? Well, yeah, and then I had done that, and I didn't do another show for like fucking forever. And then maybe I started picking it back up about nineteen, twenty, twenties when I started taking it seriously. When you went back at nineteen or twenty, would, would, 
was it like start doing another first time? Gig? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. obviously every gig almost at, oh, yeah, at an yeah, early yeah, stage yeah. Oh, yeah, is, yeah, is terrifying. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I've you know you know, let's say it's your first hundred gigs. I think even though, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. So I was still like you know fucking dog shit and that. How did you go about? You didn't know about that 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 first show in King's Cross, mm. but how did you go about booking your own first gigs then? Um, because you know you so I done lines then a lot. And then I'd ask people, you know, and then they, they put me on the comedy collective. There's like a thing called, it's like a Facebook group and you used to book gigs through that. And someone would see you and say, hey, do you want to come do five at my gig in Foxville? And you go, yeah, sure. And you go do five. Do you know what I'm saying? And mm. you kind of word of mouth and then you kind of speak to people or you email people or you know what I'm saying? Or you know someone who goes, oh, you know, I run a gig in blah, 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 blah. And you go, okay, cool. You know, because when I, so back in then, the London open mic scene was just bubbling, really. Yeah, I think I and, I'm, and people might be listening to this who are real historians and be like, "You talking shit?" But from what my memory was, it was just it was it was about to blow up again because the open mic now is exploded. You know, there's fucking tons of open mics in London, but just when I was coming up, it was there was there was a lot, but there was there was a lot of open micers, but there's not as many as there was now. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But even then, there, we considered it a lot of them, but there wasn't that many considering now. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, the, the, even here, the last maybe Crazy. 18 months, 24 months, it's... It's exploded, exploded. So, yeah, man, and it was like, so those gigs, man, there was just gigs. There was gigs everywhere. You know, you could, you know, you could gig maybe three, four times, no, three times a night if you were on it. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? I was mad. Like, you know, we could you work, work. And the, the gigs were shit. Some of them were shit, man. But you just, you could get up, get up, get up, get up. And, you know, you start becoming friends with people and you become like a regular at an open mic. Like I might know the promoter. Like there was one club, Jester Jesters. Yeah. Up in the Pear Tree. In uh, Farringdon. Jonathan Hearn. Jonathan Hearn. Yeah. I like Jonathan Hearn. And they had an eye. What the fuck's the Oh, fuck. What's the other guy's name? I can't remember. He was fucking funny as well, but I can't remember his name. But anyway, uh, Jonathan Hearn would book that. And we, you know... Must have worked with John, you know, gig for John Mad Times. And then so it came to a point where I could pop in. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Because that's, that's what happens. You get to that level where you can pop in. So, you know, you, you do so one So you do something new that day, you know you can drop in. Yeah, I can drop in. You know what I'm saying? And there was other little gigs like that. And then, you know, I sort of built from that. And I went to Comedy Caf. And I trial for the Comedy Caf. I'd won his new act of the year, the Comedy Caf, up in Shoreditch. It's closed down now, sadly. And I used to do that. And then I became a regular there. So I could drop in any Wednesday. So I used to go dropping on a Wednesday. I could do 10 minutes to a real crowd. And I built up there. You know what I'm saying? Just kind of bit by bit snowball. Bit by bit. Then Top Secret. Top Secret Comedy Club. That started breaking now. So I was going there on a Monday. I could pop, you know, done it a couple of times. He thought he liked me. I could drop in there. So you kind of, you know, you build and build and build and you start dropping in. You know. That first gig. So then how many people are we talking on the bill? <laughs> Man, in King's Cross. 15, 16. Like so, it's a big one. Yeah, like yeah, five minutes yeah. spots, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of them had like you know a lot of these open mics when I was coming up were fucking just. Like I saw on this podcast. I'll be like, I think I broke that seal. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, there'll be there'll be there'll be tons of people. Tons. I remember there'll be like 15 people on the bill easily, easily 15 people on the bill. And what stage does does they all let you know that actually you're on? I think I had got there and said. You know what? I fancy going up, and Ayo was like, "Don't worry, you're already on." <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think there was some type. I think I was. It wasn't like, <gasps> like I think I had said, ah, "I think I might want to go up." You know? Was there an element of like kind of calling your bluff a little bit? You were like, "Oh shit, no." <laughs> maybe, maybe at the time, maybe at the time, maybe I had a bit of bravado in my voice. 
at the time and I was hoping that they would say, no, you can't do it. But uh, yeah, I did it anyway. Do you remember who was hosting that night? A guy called Tyrone. Tyrone. Tyrone, Tyrone Atkins. He used to host uh, Lions then. He's not, he's not, he, he wasn't a host in the later years, but he's not that. When you know you're next. Mm. And you're, oh, he does pull out the hat. It was random. Pull out the hat. Yeah, it was random. That's, it was random. That's, random. that's nerve wracking. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. I guess you're always ready then. Well, you see, it was nerve wracking, but at the same time, it's like you didn't know any different. That was just what it was. You got to pull off the bandit then. Yeah, just yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's mad. Do you know what, bro? You're making me think about some shit, bro. Because I ain't, you know, you know what? I ain't thought about this forever. Because I feel like when you do comedy, especially when you become professional, it just becomes normal now. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I've been doing this for a long time now, in terms of the grand scheme of things. Sure, but yeah. I was, basically, I grew up doing it. Because, you know, taking 19, 20, you know, maybe Pivotal 18. years, like. Maybe 18, I was, I was hanging around the comedy clubs. Do you know what I'm saying? Like that's mm. my... That was my pivotal years, and I wasted it. <laughs> no, I'm, joking. <laughs> I'm joking, but no, you know what I mean. I grew up. I grew up in the comedy clubs. Really, I just grew up around it. Like, so it became normal. Like, I don't, you know. So it's hard to think. Oh, when I was then, because you know, I was just, you know, I'm kind, I'm me now, you know. But uh, yeah, man, it's kind of fun still. And any memories of being on stage that night? It went okay. Yeah, I remember it being fine. It was being fine. It was fine. It was fine. It wasn't nothing really to call home about. What was it like getting your first laugh then? Like when you're, you know, you're going back and you're sitting and yeah. there's that joke about being on the tube and you're sitting on the couch laughing and now now people are reacting to you. I do nice know. It's, it wasn't even the laughter. I mean, there was elements of the laughter. Like I enjoyed that. But it's just, it's just, I, I, I don't know what it was, but I just liked it. I just liked it. You know, I just liked doing it. You know, and it wasn't sort of out of this thing of like, I love all the attention because I'm not really like that personally. Like a person, I don't really like uh, attention and shit. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, you know, but it was just, I don't know what it was, man. I just, it just felt right. You know, I think there's a certain, uh, it felt like an uncomfortableness had been relieved of me in a weird way. Okay. That's very personal to say, but I feel like an uncomfortableness has been relieved off me. And I really felt, it felt right. Do you know what I'm saying? Even when it's bad, it felt right. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? No, it just feels, it just feels right to do it. I guess it's, it's without making it sound pretty, it's, it's, it's what you're kind of made to do. Yeah. You know? Maybe. And if you're not doing it, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe. But I just don't know. I just felt like, I just remember thinking, okay, that's me. It's me now, you know? That's just, that's what I've just always done it now. And Tyrone says your name. Yeah. You now have to go up. Yep. Short walk to the stage. Yep, short, very short. <laughs> Too you, short. If you today sit yeah. there can go back, quickly pull yourself to the side. Uh-huh. You're about to go up now and do your first five minutes yeah. and you hear it ten years later. What do you think you'd say to yourself if you could go back and offer the same Jamali advice? Shit, In man. that moment. Honestly... I say, mate, welcome to the the best worst decision of your life. You know, just I'd, honestly, I wouldn't say nothing because I think I had to experience that. Do you know what I'm saying? And I I think not knowing is part of the fun of it. Yeah, you know, because I think in life we kind of you know you get bogged down a bit with this stuff. But 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 what, what's gonna happen? And you go, whatever happens, happens. That's it. That's the that's the experience you had. 
So get something from it. You know what I'm saying? And you know, you out here worrying. Now. But what about tomorrow? Who do, what, you, are you in tomorrow today? So what the fuck you give a shit about tomorrow? You might never make it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, enjoy now. Worrying about tomorrow and the future and 10 years and all of that, man. You know? But, because, you know, that moment you have, being up there, you ain't never going to get that again. Do you know what I'm saying? That sort of, you have everything. You have hope and dreams and aspirations and fear and the unknown. And you ain't never going to feel that again. So it's good to enjoy that. Because that's the, that's what it's about, isn't it? It's about, I think, I think you, you can go through life it just being a monotonous same routine and that and you and I think it's good to do something that it throws all of that out of place and put yourself uncomfortable, make yourself happy, make yourself sad, make yourself all these things are good. So I don't um I wanna say nothing. I wanna say nothing. I'd let the I'd let I let nature take its course and see see what happens. I'll probably be cringing at the side thinking like what the fuck are you saying? But <laughs> that's nothing wrong with that. Been great chatting your your first day. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much for having me, brother. No problem. And that's that. Jamali Maddox, my first gig in the can. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for staying tuned in. Hope you enjoyed the chat. If you haven't heard the past chats in the archives, James Acaster, Ardlahan and Reg D. Hunter, Laura Lex, Catherine Bohart, Stuart Goldsmith and many more to come over the next couple of weeks. Be sure to keep in touch with us and find out who's going to appear next Wednesday before anybody else by following the show at My First Gig Pod on Facebook, on Instagram and on Twitter. If you enjoyed the show and you're still listening, it's early days. We're episode seven. I say this almost every week, but please just head on over to Twitter, head on over to your Instagram stories and just put out a post saying, really enjoyed the episode. Maybe you should check it out. That's how we get the word out here. That's how other people hear it. The more people who hear it, the more acts are inclined to do it, the better guests I get for you the better fun you have on a Wednesday and we all just have a good time. Jamali Maddox is on tour now. He is tonight, if you're listening to this this closely and you are in Leicester or nearby, head on out to Leicester. We got Nottingham, we got Southampton, we got Shrewsbury, we got Wolverhampton, York, Sheffield, Liverpool, Leeds, Beth, Cambridge, Norwich, Glasgow, Edinburgh, Tyneside, Bristol, Birmingham before heading off to Australia, to New Zealand, back to Australia and then finishing off at the Hackney Empire in may so guys check that out jamalimaddox.com for tour dates follow him online and you know what if you liked him and give him a follow say hey just following you after hearing you on the my first gig podcast that lets them know that the podcast was good it's all about trust here guys if you liked it let's build some trust if you've enjoyed me and you'd like to hear more from me then follow me across all the socials at Dwayne Dugan d-u-a-n-e-d-o-o-g-a-n if you're in dublin come down to cherry comedy on a monday let's get out there and do it you know, we don't want to just be lying around here wondering what the hell is this all for. And on that somber note, no, I want to let you go with that. Guys, go away. Have a great week. We'll see you next week, next Wednesday for episode eight. Thank you so much for tuning in. Go high five someone and we'll see you again soon. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Bye. It's the My First Gig Podcast.